Hello and welcome back to Batarang, the podcast where we bring you the Batman insights that others are too superstitious and cowardly to deliver. This week, Batman smells and Robin lays an egg. That's right, it's season one, episode two, Christmas with the Joker. We'll talk the clown prince of crime and why some Batman episodes are worse than others here on Batarang. Welcome back. I am your host, Sam. With me is your co-host, Brandon, our expert in all things Batman. That's the sound a batarang makes. That is the sound a batarang makes. See, I told you he's an expert. <laughs> oh, God. But only like the 70s batarang, the real chunky ones, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, sorry, sorry, they're an expert. Brandon does use they, them pronouns. Thank you. Uh, so, yes, we are here with Christmas with the Joker, episode two. Oh, boy. Not a strong follow-up to All Mother Wings. Why was this episode two? Was it December? Uh, so, I think so, yes. And also, I think... Because, um, and again, this is years ago, so I'm spotty on the details... But I'm pretty sure this was, like, very early in the production cycle. Um, Because I think Cat and Claw was actually the first, like, pair of episodes actually produced. Um, But again, double-check me on all this if you are so inclined. Um, But yeah, I think they had to trot out a Christmas special pretty quickly. Hmm. Um, And this uh, this is what they got. Yeah, this uh, was not a great Christmas special and not a great episode of Batman the Animated Series. If you do want to see a good Christmas special uh, featuring superheroes, you should check out Comfort and Joy, uh, which is an episode of JLA. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, or just hop on Comixology, grab one of like the like, DC Christmas with the superhero specials. Like The holiday specials are generally pretty good. Um, just, I mean, again, not, not this, although, I mean, not to tip our hand on, on, uh, MVP, but this is our first Mark Hamill's The Joker incarnation episode. Um, so it's not all bad, but it also isn't just Robin who laid an egg on this one. Yeah, the, the episode, uh, doesn't completely stink, and... If it's bad, it's not bad because of Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill is earning his money. Oh, absolutely. Um, so now that you know how we, how we feel about it, how we really feel, um, let's jump into to our synopses. Nice. Okay. So I'll get my timer up, and we'll see if Brandon can give us a 22-second uh, summary of this 22-minute episode. Uh, call on the clock. And... Go for it. Okay, Dick wants to watch It's a Wonderful Life with Bruce, and Bruce is all, I want to patrol the city, but everything's nice until Joker hijacks the airwaves and is going to kill uh, some fair citizens. Who cares which ones? Because um, I'm running out of time. Oh, my God. 
shenanigans ensue. Eventually, they f- catch up to the Joker and, and stop. <laughs> I think you got it kind of kind of just up to the wire. If it wasn't for that flub and doubting yourself for any time, yeah, yeah. about the twenty-two seconds. I'll call it a, a buzzer beater. Um, okay, and you go in three, two, one. All right, the Joker escapes from Arkham on Christmas and hijacks Gotham's airwaves for his own Christmas special. He sets up a slew of hackneyed situations for Batman to slog through uh, and hits him with a pie (laughs) Uh, before uh, getting sent back to Arkham. Batman and Robin watch It's a Wonderful Life. Kaboom. 18.71. Sweet. I think we both pretty much hit all the beats. There's not much to this episode. (sighs) No, there isn't. And I think you... You brought up really well, like, the hackneyed beats of this structure, right? So we have, like, our inciting incident, right? And then it's just Batman does a thing, right? Batman does a thing. And, like, pieces fit into place, but there's not, like, an escalation of drama, mm-hmm. really. It's just, it's sort of a, almost a fairy tale structure, right? Um, Batman does, like, deals with three terrible things in one night. Right. Yes, all in one night. He does them. <laughs> what day is today? <laughs> Why? Today's Christmas Day. Oh, yeah, like, he, he, like Batman does Batman-y things. Like, Joker does Jokery things. But it all just is flat. Uh, so, the beginning of this episode actually starts out on a high note, yeah. I thought. You have Mark Hamill as the Joker being introduced. Yep. He uh, sings Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin Lays an Egg while he decorates the Arkham Asylum Christmas tree. Which is already a great idea, right? Of like, of course Arkham Asylum has a Christmas tree. That's exactly what you want in the institution where you lock up Poison Ivy is is a 30-foot tall coniferous tree. Though I get the sense that they don't usually have a Christmas tree, and this maybe was Joker's idea. Because, spoiler, the Christmas tree is a rocket ship that the Joker climbs on top of and uses to blast his way out of Arkham. Which, ooh, again, raises a lot of questions. Um, How did no one catch that? Uh, How's the propulsion system? How is he piloting it? And I guess... I know I'm usually an advocate for don't worry about who puts gas in the Batmobile, but ooh, there's limits. Um, yeah. It also it also sets up uh, what some other like DC writers have referred to as other DC writers. I'm not one yet. What some like DC writers have referred to as the Wiley Coyote problem, mm. right? And. I remember hearing this more in line with like Lex Luthor, right? If like he, why does he rob a bank? He doesn't need money. And it's sort of the same thing with the Joker here. It's like, how does he, how is he paying for this rocket tree? Right. And the other stuff we'll get to. Tons of other stuff that would cost a fortune to make. Yes, exactly. Even this alone is like, you know, boggles the mind of how he got away with building a rocket within the tree and like normally we have joker on the streets in an old warehouse or amusement park you know soldering together things that out of parts that he's stolen but like he's been in arkham and it looks like he's been in arkham for a while and yet he has different locations around gotham and the surrounding area stuffed with killer robots and like stuff on a scale that he doesn't normally even do 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's one of those early episodes. They're still finding their their voice. And I've gone back and looked at the show Bible, right, and the pitch for, for the series. And this feels out of step even with that. So you can't help but wonder, right, is like how much of it was like nudged toward being a Christmas special. Um, and, I, and I wrote in my notes that it feels almost like a Super Friends episode, right? To the extent that I'm almost surprised Robin wasn't voiced by Casey Kasem. Um, because, yeah, it's a lot of, like, giant robot stuff. It's, you know, uh, trains getting derailed, right? That sort of thing, which feels very old-school cartoon villainy. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a bit about what doesn't work in this episode. Yeah. But what works in this episode? What do we like? So, like we said, uh, Joker escapes from Arkham, uh, kidnaps uh, Commissioner Gordon, Harvey Bullock, and uh, our erstwhile reporter um, on the scene, Summer Gleason. I guess I say erstwhile because she's the only journalist in Gotham in this series. Mm-hmm. She covers crime. She covers fashion. She covered. She she's just. I guess they didn't want to like have Vicky Vale and confuse the kids. She covers crimes against fashion. I mean, actually, <laughs> um, speaking of Robin, so, <laughs> so okay, uh, Joker kidnaps them, and he's going to basically kill them if Batman can't figure out where they are, um, which is almost a Batman's relief, right? Because he was going to be forced to like not patrol, right? That's right. They they go out on like he and Robin go out on patrol. This guy gives a lady this present she dropped mm-hmm. shopping. Because um, he's sure there's going to be crime. Right. He's worried about the Joker. And Robin is like, there's not going to be anything. It's Christmas. Just relax one night. Let's watch It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, but then Batman drags Robin out on patrol anyway. And, you know, it's uh, it's it's nothing. Yeah. Well, and, and Robin, uh, Robin's argument is, well, yeah, even... Even scumbags have family to spend Christmas with. And it's like, it's the Joker. No, he doesn't. Like, is this your first day robining? Yeah, Batman's right this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they go back and that's when their TV is hijacked. And I gotta, I gotta tell you, I do love the idea of Joker putting together a Bing Crosby Christmas special yep. to antagonize Batman. Me too. And that device, I think, generally works. It's one that gets used again in mm-hmm. the future in this series and in others. Yeah. Of Joker taking over the airwaves and putting on a show. Uh, he, I wrote on a quote, which is, it's the, it's the show that nobody wants to see, but everyone will watch. Which I think is perfect for a Joker Christmas special. That's exactly it. I mean, he has that... Um, And again, like, it's really early in the series for them to, like, play around with going Mm off-model. But even his sweater vest makes him look look a little little paunchy. So he has... (laughs) It's perfect, right? Because usually he's almost as much of, like, a triangle torso as, like, any of the heroes, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought that was good. You get this nice gag of uh, the camera does, like, a reverse shot, and you see a bunch of cardboard cutouts... Who are made to look like you know characters you know like Batman, Robin, whoever else. Um, but I don't think we're to understand that the people like in that world see that reverse shot. So 
That means Joker made all this stuff because he wanted to be watched by these people. Mm-hmm. And and that is like that particular brand of like Joker chaotic energy that I think actually like really nails it. I agree. Like this was all this was all to well, I guess there's two ways of thinking. He did this all to please himself. Right. Including having the cardboard audience and everything, who he later blows up. Yep. Uh, and here's what I actually think is going on, though. Okay. That he, this is actually a Christmas present to Batman sincerely. Uh, so he has put together all of these trials and dangers and stuff uh, to allegedly kill Batman. Right. Uh, But, like, we know that he doesn't really want to kill Batman because when Batman arrives to stop him, he gives him his present, which is a pie in the face. A box that he opens up and Batman gets it with a pie in the face, which Joker finds hilarious. Because it is. Yeah. It even has Batman wrapping paper. But if it wasn't for Joker doing this, Batman would have had to have stayed home all day and watched It's a Wonderful Life. And in th- this is an instance where I think Joker knows Batman better than Robin does. Pretty easily. I mean, it's almost clear that they've had a longer relationship. Um, and for what it's worth, I know we got into a little bit last episode uh, that I, I have a working knowledge, let's say working knowledge of film history. I want to stress for the, for the kiddos out there, at the time, It's a Wonderful Life was considered corny. Right? It was directed by Frank Capra. At the time, they called his movies Capricorn for just that reason. Yeah. Right? So the idea of like Batman sitting through this, what, two, two hours and change of, of this very nice movie, like, I get it. I don't want y'all to think that, like, again, kids today can't understand, like, even back in the 30s where people were like, this is... Well, no, it was later than that. I'm sorry, because they reference World War II in It's a Wonderful Life. So it's in the 40s, isn't it? Must be. Yeah. Um, or or Frank Capra was, could see into the future and yet still made lame stuff. Um, and it's a movie I like, but it does make me understand why Batman is a little surly toward Robin and keeps, like, grappling, hooking away. But he doesn't have the grappling hook gun yet, so he just kind of like pulls on the rope <laughs> and it pulls him into the sky. Um, but I, I absolutely agree. Like nothing that gets done is all that threatening, even right. Like on a Batman difficulty scale, this ranks at about like a four out of ten. Yeah. And he, it's it's not that he, uh, you know, hates watching movies or something, mm. um, but. He wants to go out and patrol, not just because he thinks Joker will do something, and, yeah. he's, and he's right, but he wants Joker to do something so he can have like a meaningful. So, so we have something meaningful happen to him. And when right. uh, he talks about its wonderful life at the start of the episode, and how he doesn't want to watch it, uh, I think it's Alfred or maybe Robin who says, "Oh, it's a movie about uh, a man discovering that his existence means a lot to this one city." Yeah. So it should be familiar to you. But that's what he wants, and that's what he gets, and that's what the Joker gives him. You know, I, I actually I had a, a pretty similar thought this morning of, like, you know, this does seem like... Because um, I've, of course, seen this episode maybe ten times um, today. And, yeah, it occurred to me, like, yeah, this is actually, like, a pretty cool thing for Batman to, to get. Um, 
Bruce's response to the like synopsis of the movie is, I could never get past the title. It's like, okay, Bruce, like, <laughs> chill out. That's a, that's some Prince Zuko energy. That yeah, that's a really good way of. <laughs> ugh, ugh. Um, uh, so yeah, I want to get a little bit into the meat and potatoes of the different. Um, let's just call them like levels. Because it, it's a game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so is the first one the um, the toy soldier tank? No, I think no. the first one's the train. The train, okay. So a moment I did want to highlight, and this might be my, like, this is my highlight of the episode, is uh, Summer uh, Summer Gleason starts crying, and Joker pulls out her, her gag, which doesn't... It doesn't make any sense. No, it's dumb. Uh, it's dumb as fuck. He puts candy canes in their mouths so they can't talk, but they can easily spit them out at will. Right. Um, so there's that. Um, so she starts crying, and he takes her gag out, and she says, my mother's on that train. And Joker's doing a little hand puppet thing because they didn't invent Harley Quinn yet. And uh, what does he call him? Handy? Something like that. Yeah, which, like... The the implications I'd rather not think about. And Han- Handy, we'll go with that, says, well, that'll make it all the more exciting when it crashes. And it is such casual cruelty on the Joker's part. And again, like, everything that's dumb and wrong about this episode, they get, they get Joker really well, they get his relationship with Batman really well, and it's just how gleefully he says, yes, Summer, I hope your mother dies. Yep. And yes, he set this up for Batman to stop, but like if the train goes over, that's like icing for him. Right, exactly. Like not, uh, you know, it's a feature, not a bug. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, like stopping a train, like not super hard for Batman, like whatever. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's definitely uh, the Joker. Yep. The Joker in a nutshell. Um, one cool thing about that, I think maybe right after that, mm-hmm. Uh, is they do an interesting meta thing with the format of the show and the format of Joker's show, mm-hmm. where Joker then goes direct to camera, as he's been doing frequently in the episode, but he throws to commercial. Right. Uh, we'll be back after a word from our sponsor, and that's the act break, and then if you were watching it in real time, uh, it would have gone to commercial. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I think... Uh, Batman stories, for whatever reason, have always done really well, is they have worked with media. Um, <clears throat> like, Dark Knight Returns has a lot of, like, you know, uh, Vox Populi, like, interviews. Uh, they're just sort of throwaway, like, basically Frank Miller complaining about how stupid people are in society at large and blah, blah, blah. But there's always sort of this, like, real um, awareness of how what people think about Batman and like what television is doing in Gotham City and I think that's really cool and yeah like you're saying like what this is about and I wonder how much of that is just that impulse is taken from Batman 89 again right where Joker sort of sets up this idea that like he's a nicer guy than than Batman and then kills a bunch of people with chemical weapons yeah the uh, I think that's an interesting point about kind of the role of television in Batman and specifically Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. Like Joker takes better advantage of it than most other members of the Rogues Gallery. Yeah, uh, like his thing is uh, 
you know, hijacking the airwaves to give proclamations. For some reason, he's very good at doing this. Um, but other times, um, there's news clips or, uh, you know, live reporting or different television shows uh, that kind of comment on the kind of world at large, like mm-hmm. the world that Batman lives in. Uh, and I wonder if there's also a bit of like the uh, medium is the massage in this where uh, it's like a world gripped by television. And if you want to get people's attention, you use television to do it. Uh, and the image of television on the show is this thing that everyone is always looking at yeah. when they need to be or maybe just all the time. And uh, if you want to, to say something to everyone... That's the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's it fits in really nicely in that sort of pre-internet age thing, right? Like, if the show were new now, it wouldn't make sense um, because it's hard to get that much of a market share, right? Um, and I think, like, especially the New York of that time would have had a lot of, you know, appliance stores that would have TVs in the front window, right? So people could constantly be barraged with ads, Um ads coming from the TV, like in the TV store, trying to get you to buy the TV and the thing in the ad, and it loops back around. It's a snake that eats its own ass. Um, sorry, that's a shout out to to the I Hate It But I Love It podcast. Um, so, cool. Yeah, and Joker is all about theatricality, right? He's kind of a comedian, right? Yeah. And that sort of thing. He also wants to be seen. Like, yeah. he wants to be watched. Yeah. And not just because it's part of his scheme and this is the way that he can communicate with Batman, but, like, it's the show that nobody wants to see but everybody wants to watch. It's like, right. whether or everyone will watch. Like, whether you like the Joker or want to see him or not, like, you're going to. I'm not giving you a choice. I've taken over all the channels. And you're not going to turn it off. Right. Joker's on there about to kill 500 people on a train. Right. <laughs> Choo-choo. Um, choose who lives and dies. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I kind of wish there was a bit more in the middle here for us to talk about. But, yeah, like, giant toy menaces Gotham. Batman stops it. Yep. Other giant toy menaces Gotham. Yep. Batman stops it. Well, are you talking about the giant toy? Well, I think the second giant toy actually only menaces Batman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the doll, right? The giant one, yeah. The giant doll, yeah. Like a toy soldier, right? Yeah. And this cutie doll, too. Yeah. There's all sorts of dumb Joker bullshit. (laughs) Which, again, is funny because even at the time this was on the air, right, like, I wouldn't have known what a Cupid doll was. And I guess that's why Robin says, like, oh, I haven't seen one of those in years. And Batman's like, they don't make them anymore. Right? <laughs> <laughs> its parents are dead. <laughs> Bat computer, track this to the one toy factory that used to make them in Gotham. Of course, because Gotham... Um, always has exactly what the story needs, right? It has a thousand toy factories. Mm-hmm. It has, like... That's one of those things where if... I mean, I've said it before. I'll probably say it again on this podcast. If I were Batman, first thing I'd do, like, you know, the news comes on. In financial news, Wayne Tech has bought every abandoned toy store, toy factory, <laughs> ice cream shop. Just <laughs> knocked them all over, made parking lots. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good thing there's so much urban decay for the Joker to inhabit in Gotham. Yeah. Maybe fix that one. Uh, 
So one thing that I thought was funny is, so there's a part of the episode where uh, Joker sends Batman to the observatory. Right. Which I think actually comes up again as a location in another Batman episode. But it seems kind of out of nowhere. And he's changed the telescope on the observatory to a tank gun. Right. Which then moves around on the observatory like it's a, uh, what do you call it? Um, like a turret? Yeah, like a turret. Uh, it aims at Batman to try to blow him up. And obviously that, that's not going to work. But what I want call to call attention to is the observatory is on top of a mountain called mm. Mount Gotham. Yep. Which is just the peak of lazy writing. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of really bad writing in this episode. What struck me is they kept writing it as if it were the first episode, right? So there's a lot of characters saying each other's names. There's a lot of... Batman kind of... And that's what Robin is there for, right? To be the idiot kid who has things explained to you, to him. Um, and there's plenty of that in there, right? Um, but then, even um, in terms of, like, just the sheer filmmaking of it, right? Uh, so, as as Batman and Robin close in on the Joker, uh, fights with goons happen... You know, uh, there's some other toy soldier robots. Batman goes after them with a baseball bat. Uh-huh. And Get it, Batman? Right, so Robin says that, and there's no reaction shot either way, right? <laughs> like, Batman doesn't smirk, he doesn't frown at it, nothing. The story just moves on. Like, the sh- it's almost as if the show doesn't care that Robin made a joke. Uh-huh. Well, like, he just had to. Right. I mean, yeah, but like a more clever thing might have been something like, isn't that a little on the nose? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not great, people. It's not great. <laughs> um, so at the end of the episode, Batman does end up tracking him to the toy factory where mm-hmm. he set up this TV studio. Uh, and Joker has the, um, you know, Bullock, Gordon, and Summer... Uh, for some reason in baby bonnets and he's acting like they're a family right they're the awful lawful families which I think is so they're paladins I guess I don't know how that works I really don't get it no Um, but he has them tied up over a pit of molten lead is it iron is it chemicals some red pit it's it's um that's what happens when you let an icy get to room temperature is it just gets volatile (laughs) So they're hanging there, and Joker's holding onto the rope. Yeah. And he's going to drop him in unless Batman opens his Christmas present. Uh, and Robin shouts, no, Batman, don't do it. Instead of saving the people that are dangling, he's just telling Batman not to open them. Right. So great, great job, uh, Dick. And then, so, but Batman is like, no, I'll open it. Yeah. He does. It's a pie yeah. on a spring, which hits him in the face. Yeah. Which is both surprising and very funny. Yeah, it's the most, it's the most like sort of character-driven thing in the whole episode, right? Because you were right, like everything else the Joker does is kind of rote Joker stuff, and this is peak Joker shenanigan. Right. Yes. Yeah. This is what we love about the animated series, Joker. Right. Um, and to your point earlier, like Batman knew it was a pie, right? He knew it was going to be stupid. Um, in again, 
just the great animation of this series goes right out the window for this one where Batman kind of just waves his hand over himself to wipe off the, what is probably shaving cream or whatever, but it just comes off clean because um, drawing that over and over again would be a pain in the butt. Yep. Um, he also then immediately punches the Joker and grabs the rope, which he could have done without opening the box. Yeah. So, like, he was a willing participant in this entire Joker scheme. You just gotta let it play out sometimes, you know? Yep. Like, that's the thing, is that Joker is, like... I mean, Joker's basically a fairy tale character, mm-hmm. so you have to engage him with on his rules, on his terms. Um... You can't cheat, basically. Um, That's why no one will spit out the candy canes. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, probably, <laughs> like, off-camera, Joker was like, if you spit out these candy canes, you're fucking dead. I'll, I'll just shoot you in the head. <laughs> so play along. <laughs> I'll, I'll even pay the FCC fine. I don't care. Um, <laughs> well, then Batman holds him over um, over the the bubbling pit, mm-hmm. um, vat, whatever. And in what is a long and storied tradition, even especially in this series, of uh, vapors don't exist. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of you know a uh, lot of boiling chemicals, a lot of volcanoes, that sort of thing in this series, and ambient heat, uh, noxious fumes. None of that exists in this world. So. Yeah. yeah. Which is much... The redounds to Batman's success, because if fumes existed, uh, he would not be saving the day anywhere near as much as he does. No. And, you know, for what it's worth, I think that it's one of those things where this gets away with it better than, like, I don't know, even, like, Star Wars, right? Where it's like, they will have a duel on a volcano planet, right? Where they're floating above this molten rock, right? At least this is a cartoon, and I'm willing to be like... Sure, lava doesn't create create deadly gases, whatever, fine. Right. Or, you know, melting heat. Right. <laughs> Catching on fire just by being close to it. Um, so, yeah, that happens. And then Bruce and Dick go home and watch It's a Wonderful Life. Right, which he got from Commissioner Gordon, who had it on a video cassette. Right, that's right. It was so, it was so nice of Commissioner Gordon to loan you the video cassette. <laughs> And uh, I think Batman kind of likes it. He does, yeah. Breakfast at Tiffany's situation. (laughs) (laughs) And that there's a harmful Asian stereotype upstairs. No, Mm. I know the song by Deep Blue Something, yes. Um, That that classic song. Um, Yeah, they watch it, and, and that's it, I guess. Yeah, Batman says something snarky. Yep. Uh, so, anything else you want to talk about in this episode? Any details that jumped out at you? I mean, you wanted to dig in on the Joker a bit, right? I absolutely do want to dig in on the Joker, and I have questions about the Joker. Let, let's let's go with your questions. Cool. Uh, so, my first question about the Joker is, when did he become Batman's main villain? Yes, he's part of a rose gallery, but like he is Batman's main antagonist. When did that happen? Pretty much from his second appearance. Um, he shows up first in Batman number one, which was in 1940, um, and he dies on panel, right? Like, he drowns, there's uh, playing cards floating on the surface of the water, and then pretty rapidly they were like, no, this guy's awesome. Um, and, yeah, he's one of the first characters they, like... One of the earliest, if not the earliest, like, 
super uh, superhero comic character to come back from the dead. Um, hmm. So yeah, pretty much from Jump Street. And then after that appearance, was he used like frequently again in like a couple months later, a few months later, like all it the was, time? It was a, it was within the year, and it was pretty regular. Um, but we're talking like fairly old Batman, so like you know throughout the forties, where it's also kind of a wasteland of supervillains um, who will never show up again. Um, or, you know, that time when Batman has a zebra costume. So, while I can't speak to, like, how frequently he shows up, it's not infrequent either. Like, that was... It was a pretty regular occurrence. Um, I mean, that said, like, Joker doesn't show up in any of um, the movie serials, right? Like, those were all, like, very, um, very, like, real world. So, for instance, in the 40, 41 movie serials, Batman and Robin fight... Um, uh, Japanese Axis scientists. And there's your hateful Asian stereotype. Ding, ding, ding. We got one after all. <laughs> I tried rewatching those um, when I was in college and oof, could not get through the first episode. Um, but yeah, it was pretty rapid. And then during the, the Silver Age, it really exploded for the Joker because um, he fits in really well in the sort of like uh, high concept hijinks thing cool yep uh i didn't know most of that good stuff um so we talked a little bit in the last episode about how um batman 89 is doing work yep that batman the amen series benefits from it allows them to not explain things yeah um and this is the very first appearance of joker on the show they do not introduce or explain him he's just joker yeah. And, like, yes, people know who Joker is. He's been on television many times before this. Um, but the... But this time without a mustache. This time without a mustache. That's right. Uh, this doesn't have to face paint over any facial hair. <laughs> um, but the most recent version of the Joker that people have seen, mm-hmm. and an insanely popular and pervasive one, is yes. Jack Nicholson's Joker. Yeah, absolutely. So... I want to ask you the influence of Nicholson's Joker in 89 on the animated series Joker. So when Mark Hamill went in to audition for the role, uh, they handed him, as as they often do for voiceover auditions, they give you the, the turnarounds, right? The, the sort of character stance sheet, right? So they gave him the turnarounds, um, and there was only one acting note on it, which is not Nicholson. Huh. Um so basically they were trying to distance themselves from that as much as possible, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think that makes sense. This is actually much closer to a comic book Joker. Um, Batman 89, for as amazing as it is, um, is not not very comic booky, really, right? And Joker is just kind of straight up a terror, like an, a new age terrorist. Mm-hmm. Um, so... This is, yeah, much more like the clown prince of crime. Um, so, yeah, they were trying to distance themselves from that, although we'll see in a later episode that um, sometimes Joker's real name is listed as unknown, and there's one time when it's listed as Jay Napier, hmm. like it was in, in the 89 film. Interesting. Yeah, I think I remember that yeah. uh, that detail. Yeah, it'll, I mean, it'll, we'll, we'll let you know when it happens. <laughs> uh, so... Joker's been in the comics for a long time. Yep. He's been on television a long time. 
then you have Batman the Animated Series, which to me is like the pinnacle of Joker's my favorite version. Yep. Uh, and then that version carries through to a lot of the other uh, DCAU stuff. Yep. The Hamill's voice Joker. Yeah, and um, and the Arkham series of video games and the occasional like I don't think any of none of the animated films I don't think that are outside the regular animated universe, but still, yeah. yeah. But anything with Hamill's voice feels like if not the exact same character, a shade or version of that character. Yeah. Oh, sorry, it just came back to me that he voiced Hamill voiced him in the uh, adaptation of the Killing Joke. Where, you know, it's funny, he sings in this episode, he sings in that movie. Oof. Oof. <laughs> it's a real bad movie, just up and down. But yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think when a lot of people, you know, read any version of, of comics Joker, they read it in Hamill's voice in their head. Right, which is what I was about to ask about. Because when you read a comic book, there's no voice actor. Right. Um, but we know that in uh, many instances, the comics Joker was influenced by Hamill. Uh, so I was wondering if you could talk about how Joker in the comics has changed since the animated series. <sighs> I mean, I think that what... Something that's really interesting about the Joker is that there are pretty, like, clearly defined, like, sort of epochs of his characterization. Um, and I'd say post well for one thing what's almost weird about batman comics is that they didn't like try to get more in line with the popular movie right like the the tail didn't wag the dog on that one um whereas i think like if you pick up a, a marvel comic it's going to feel more in in line with like the mcu because that's the the person they're trying to capture right um or say hellboy the comic made decisions based on what they knew the movie was doing or going to do. Um, and I think with like the, uh, the 80s and having this idea of like a very sort of dark and brutal Joker, that carried through in the 90s a lot, um, where he was very much um, a crime lord, very much a, a murdering sociopath. Um, but it honestly depends on like who's writing him. Um, He's like any other sort of like imp trickster spirit character who, if the story calls for someone to just uh, sort of hum a tune to himself and crack wise while he's, you know, just not doing anything clever, just walking through like the GCPD bullpen with a with a rifle and gunning people down, um, as happens in Gotham Central, um, he's there for that. If you want someone to sort of assemble a... Uh, a giant like theme park of death. He does that. Um, Grant Morrison in in their book that also came out in late '89, um, Arkham Asylum: A Serious House on Serious Earth, advances this idea that like Joker isn't crazy. He like that sort of whether or not he's sane is a null value. Um, he's just constantly readapting himself to basically continue existing in Gotham. Um, and that's one of the ways that, like, Morrison, at least, they've they've sort of explained away, like, why the Joker is such an inconsistent character. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like... I don't feel like you really need to do that. <laughs> I think people know that there's different writers in different comics in different ages. 
But you're but you you're you're a reasonable person. <laughs> yeah, it's like like we need to see uh, that like oh back in the day Batman had a different personality and he liked to joke and call people chum. That he just did. I mean, one of Morrison's uh, big sort of projects when he wrote Batman um, was so he wrote Batman for like an eight or nine year period. And he basically went out of his way to reconcile all of it just to see if he could. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works really well, but it also includes a lot of hallucinogenics. Mm-hmm. So both on Morrison's part and Batman's. <laughs> um, but to that end, like he was really interested, especially when he wrote Arkham Asylum, interested in the idea of like Joker being not quite human. Right? Like mostly human, but um, that book's a trip. We don't... Let's... That's for a future episode. All right, pin in that one. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I just remembered uh, from the episode, mm-hmm. there is a shot of the Gotham City Christmas tree. Yep. And to me, it looked exactly like the one in Batman Returns. Mm. And that makes me wonder if Returns came out before this episode was produced. Because this, although it was the second episode... It was like the 38th produced. Oh, okay, yeah. So it was way later uh, in, in the production schedule. So I think Returns may have come out in the interim. It definitely would have, yeah. Uh, so I wonder if they put that in there as an Easter egg. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's I mean, it's really weird how this relates to the movies, right? Because in some ways, like, it's actually much, like, less goofy. Um because I think when it's animated, it all feels of a piece, right? Whereas, like, the uh, the fake smiles in Batman 89 or just the... Look, there's a lot of things I like about Batman Returns, but it is a wildly inconsistent movie. Oh, yeah. Um, you can feel Tim Burton and, and Warner Brothers arguing, like, just in how the film unfolds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those, like, little touch points make it easier to sort of digest it as a, a Batman thing as a whole. Yeah, Uh Feeling that kind of connection um, kind of connects it back to the cultural zeitgeist yeah. of how people look at Batman. Uh, so, as we all know, Batman has an ironclad oath never to kill because mm-hmm. otherwise he'd be just like the people that he puts behind bars. So that brings us to Batman's Body Count, the segment mm-hmm. where we talk about who should be dead after an episode of Batman the Animated Series. Yep. So who do you got on your list? Uh, you know, that, um, that toy soldier tank does roll over some cars. Uh, so I'm going to say, I'm going to call that about, mm, let's be generous and say only five. Only five people get, get it from that. Okay. That sounds reasonable. Uh, I'll add to that three more. And that is the awful lawful family who should be dead because they were hung over a, uh, boiling pot of acid. God only knows what. Yeah. They should have suffocated or something. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and then to that same end, Joker would be dead. Right. I mean, even, I feel like this comes up. Well, we're two for two on this one. Like, I don't know, Baron would be dead in this one. Um, he takes some a couple nasty bumps. Uh, but this also this is also an episode that, like I said, has a lot of like Looney Tunes feel to it. Mm-hmm. And like Batman gets to hit someone with a baseball bat mm-hmm. because uh, because they're robots, right? The same sort of hand wavy stuff they did with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? It's like, oh well, we gave a character 
a deadly weapon. Okay, well, how do we make it so that he can actually use it on a kid's show? Right. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's people that would say that you can never do that on a kid's show because that's something a kid could rep to imitate, right? Picking up a baseball bat and wailing on their roller with it or something. Exactly. Whereas for some reason, making the victim a robot gets you, like, lets you get away with it. Right. Charlie abhors, Charlie abhors violence in all its forms. That's mm. not true. He'll bite me on the head just to show affection. Just let me know he cares. So we have a pop cat, folks. Just baseball bat form that he doesn't like. Uh, cool. So there's Batman's body count. Yeah. That takes <laughs> us to our MVPs and then our ranking. Yeah. So who's your MVP for this episode? Uh, clearly Joker. Um, just all the... I mean, like we said, this is this is Mark Hamill voicing Joker for the first time. Um, and... This is pretty much the first time he would have been seen by, or like, most seen, heard by most people since Star Wars. Yeah. Right? Like, he had done a few movies in the interim that no one saw, um, like, including the live-action adaptation of the anime The Giver, um, which just... Look, I don't feel great that I know that's a thing that exists. Um, a friend of mine in the late 90s told me it was the best thing ever and made me watch it. How was it? Not great. <laughs> in fact, not the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, now, I'm, now I'm more curious. Um, Welcome to Battering, where we talk about animes that I watched in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shows up here. Um, so... Like Mark Hamill doing this very theat, you know. Yeah, that's by this time. Let me take that back because he played um, Trickster on the ninety Flash series. Oh, I totally forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of that character got rolled into this. To be fair, most people didn't watch that show, and it got canceled after one or two seasons. So maybe my point still stands. But I think, like, I know as a kid, I shit a brick when I realized that was Luke Skywalker. Uh-huh. Um, I always wanted to send him a fan letter that says, like, Dear uh, dear Mr. Hamill, I love your work as the Joker. Have you been in any movies? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, when I've heard him do interviews where he talks about, like, basically he'll, he'll get that sort of thing every once in a while. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like, I think that... He's actually a very, very good physical actor, and that doesn't come up in Star Wars that much mm-hmm. uh, because Luke is not that theatrical a character. Um, but when you see him in like a Flash show, and he's in the the new Flash series, um, he actually has a huge presence. Um, what he had been doing like right before this was he was on stage as uh, Mozart in Amadeus. Ah. Um, and apparently in his research for that, he had found out that uh, Mozart had a very obnoxious laugh. <laughs> so every night, uh, he would try a different one. Um, and he just brought that to bear playing the Joker. And you you feel that physicality, even though it's just his voice. Yeah, you know if you watch him do it, he's not just sitting there in a booth. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like it is... like. It's almost difficult to like see the see the voice come out of like him, um, if you see actual video of Hamill doing it. But yeah, it, it's just he's amazing. He makes the best of what is like 
kind of a dud of a script around him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. My MVP is obviously Joker as well. Uh, Hamill's voice is a showstopper every time. Uh, he steals, steals every scene. Uh, you know, really brings the character to life. So my choice is Joker. Um, but let us rank the episode. Yeah. We only have one to compare it to. Episode one, All Another Wings. Yep. So what wins in the head-to-head? All Another Wings or... Uh, Christmas with the Joker. The title card for On Leather Wings beats this episode's <laughs> ass. Yeah, On Leather Wings was incredible. This was one of the worst episodes of TAS, so it's not really close. No, no, it's... And I gotta say, uh, Robin especially has to take most of that heat. Yeah, he's, he's awful. Yeah. Uh, which we, like, we'll get a chance to get into later with the Rachel Ghoul episodes, but yeah, I would put this at... um. I think for a little while, while it's fresh in our minds, we'll just rank other episodes by how much better they are than this one. <laughs> yes, it might be, yeah, it might be our touchstone going forward. Yeah. All right, so uh, that brings our cast to a close. So check us out next time. Same battering time, same battering channel.